and you have sustained life for thousands of years in us. And we thank you for it. Jesus, we thank you that you have come to make that life more, to make it abundant. And we feel that and we know that and we experience that. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are for us, the presence of God within. And we ask you, make us alive. Let your life spring up at us today as we receive the word. Would you teach us? Would you release Jonathan from anything else but just a sense of your carrying him along right now, just receiving from you? what he studied, and what you would have him say right now. We ask you for an experience of you and for understanding from you, encouragement, and if need be, correction from you. But we're open to you now, Father. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, it's a joy to get a, get to be up here again and to get a, to get a share. And um, I'm really excited. Um, we didn't we didn't really fully plan this, but um, the the place where I'm going to pick up uh, our teaching today is kind of kind of really build on what what Rick taught last week, and I love how those things happen, um, the, where they're where they're not planned, and the Holy Spirit's just just working. So, um, yeah, today we're going to be talking about two practices that are ancient practices that the church has been doing, and even God's people before that in the Old Testament have been doing for uh, millennia, which is singing and prayer. And honestly, um, it's been cool studying these things because I was, as I was, we were talking about breaking up each of these practices. You know, Rick introducing the uh, new covenant, talking about communion last week. Um, we were kind of breaking up those those teachings, and then you know, as Rick and I met this week, we talked about singing and prayer, kind of focusing in on that. And I was like, as I started studying these things, it's it, they're things that we almost take for granted, right? Um, these practices that we do every week, we come and we sing songs. We, we pray. We almost can um, s- not stop and actually think through why we do what we do and, and maybe look at them from a different perspective. So hopefully today, you know, we're not going to cover these things exhaustively, but um, hopefully my goal and my, my hope is that the Lord just re- revitalizes some of this for us. Maybe we can um, even see these practices that we do every week um, in fresh ways. And so really... Um, we want to also look at these things as we at the outset of, um, as responses to the new covenant. Um, if you haven't had a chance to, to listen to Rick's teaching or, or read the notes um, and you didn't get the email, just talk to one of us or talk to Rick and he'll shoot it out. But like I was going through his notes. Um, he had a PDF of all the slides last week and I was like, holy cow, this is dense. There's some really deep, deep stuff in there. And um, it's really beautiful truths that I really encourage you to just you know, I'm planning on going back and just and um, really soaking that in because there's so much there. But today we're going to be talking about singing in prayer um, and those practices. So first, um, we're going to talk about singing. And um, singing is one of those just interesting things that we do, um, that we've done for, for ages, like I said. And uh, there's so much so much behind it. Um, and we're really going to build in this path. You, uh, sorry, we're going to, um, I'm going to, we're going to walk through Matthew 26 and actually look at um, at both of these practices together. But we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit in the in the uh, the passage of Matthew 26 and start with the communion supper. And I want to read that that passage again, and then we'll hone in on singing there. So um, let's, if you have a Bible, open it to, to Matt, uh, Matthew 26. Um, um, otherwise, we'll have the slides up on the screen here, and just ignore that Colossians 26 there. That was. Um, <laughs> that should be Matthew. Um, I think God does that sometimes to keep me humble. Just, uh, wow. Uh, okay, so Matthew 26, verse, starting in verse 26, 
we're going to read together. Um, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. In verse 27, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. So we'll move into the next slide there. Um, In verse 28, he says, This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So one thing I want to note here before we move into the, into the, the, the verse that talks about singing in this passage is that Notice there in, in verse 28, it says, this is the blood of the covenant. That's kind of um, some, tra- uh, some of the newer manuscripts use the word new covenant. Um, the older manuscripts, a lot of them say covenant. But the idea here is Jesus is instituting um, this supper with his, his disciples, and he's instituting this, this new covenant. He's inviting his disciples into something really new. The Passover meal was something that was outlined in the book of Exodus as God was taking his people out of, out of Egypt. And it was a, a meal that, to remember their slavery, to remember that God was freeing them and taking them out of the this, this slavery into this new life. And so the, the picture is fitting because Jesus here is transitioning his disciples away from this old covenant, this old way of relating to God, into this new covenant. And he's introducing there this cup, and he's saying, this is the blood. This is my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He also introduced his body. Um, and bread, and we, you know, Rick covered those things last week, so I won't uh, belabor it. But I just want us to see here that this it's this beautiful picture where Jesus is saying, "This is the new covenant. This is the blood of the of the new covenant. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins." And um, Jesus was was doing something new here. And um, let's go to the next slide, and we'll read the next verse, Matthew twenty six, verse thirty. Um, we almost missed this verse, and a lot of the um, the gospel accounts don't have it, and Matthew does. It says, "When they had sung a hymn." They went out to the Mount of Olives. Um, and that's, it's funny, it's just this passing short little verse um, that we see, but after that meal that he instituted with his disciples, they, they sung a hymn together. And first thing I want to key on is that the word they is used twice here. It wasn't just Jesus singing a hymn, it was they. They all together sung a hymn. And this is um, kind of what um, what we see here from this passage is that you know, we, we don't often think of Jesus as singing, but he here with his disciples, they shared this beautiful moment. He instituted this meal. He invites, starts to invite them in, into the new covenant, and then they sang a hymn. And then they went out to the Mount of Olives, and we'll, we'll kind of pick up the story in the next part when we talk about prayer. But really, as we pause here, um, notice from this passage, we see that singing is not something that's just an individual thing. And oh, actually, I was actually thinking on asking you guys, how many of you guys sing in the shower and love just belting it out when you, yeah. How many of you feel just as comfortable belting it out in a group of, in a group setting? <laughs> Tony, some of you. That's great. Um, not notice not as many hands if uh, raised for the second one as the first. Um, but I love that singing um, is, and both of these practices, actually, we're going to see are communal. They're shared things. They're things that Jesus was inviting his disciples into, and they did together as a people. Now, part of this practice was um, there was certain psalms um, that were sung around the Passover meal um, historically. Some of the songs of uh, Ascent were the songs that, um, I think it's like Psalm 121 or, or around there. There's a, a cluster of psalms that God's people would sing around the, the, the time of Passover, and so we don't know what Jesus was singing. We don't know what hymn he was singing. 
But we also, we see that this is a tradition that didn't, didn't just begin with Jesus. It was all throughout the Old Testament. And I also want to just pause here and say, singing is an appropriate emotional response to what God, who God is and what he has done. As we start to frame singing and think about our singing, it's really a response that's a lot different than an intellectual response. It's a lot different than prayer, which sometimes involves cognition in our brain and thinking words about God. It's, there's words about God, but it's an emotional response to what he's done, who he is. Okay, let's go to the next slide and we'll start talking about, I really just want to um, keep it simple today and talk about four things that singing reflects in the scriptures. Um, truth, beauty, unity, and microcosm. That last one's, I know you probably don't see encounter that word every day, but um, I think it's, there's something really, really powerful about singing. First, uh, the thing I want to draw our attention to is truth. So um, in some of the oldest examples in the Old Testament, probably the first big example of singing is the Song of the Sea in um, Exodus 15. And it's the song of Moses and Miriam. Um, and it says, it, I'll just read it. I don't have it in the slides, but um, in Exodus 15.1, then Moses and the Israelites sang the song to the Lord. This is right after God led them through the Red Sea and the Egyptians drowned behind them. And their response wasn't... Um, well, backing up into Exodus 14, uh, the end of that, it actually says, the, uh, as they went through onto dry ground, um, the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him. So there was that first, first response that kind of keys into what we talked about a couple weeks ago in Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So they feared the Lord, they put their trust in him, and in Moses, his servant. And Moses and the Israelites, immediately after the next verse, Exodus 15.1, they sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. It goes on. It's a beautiful song, and it's probably one of the first songs in the Bible that was sung by God's people. And it was a response to who God is, to the mighty hand that he had just shown and what he had done. And there's truth embedded in this. As you read through it, you'll see it's rehearsing for God's people what he had done and also who he is. The Lord is my strength and my defense. It's acknowledging truth about God. And so I think as we talk about singing, it's important to acknowledge that truth should be an aspect, it's an important aspect of singing. That our singing, as we sing songs in church together, there's a reflection that's true about God. And again, this is why, you know, Rick talked a couple weeks ago about, about some of the hymns and the uh, hymnody, the, the rich tradition we have in, in, the, in the church of these beautiful hymns that were written, and a lot of times, actually, Rick reminded me of this, that um, a lot of those hymns were written in a time when the literacy rate was a lot lower than it is today. And so this was a lot of, for a lot of people, the way that they could learn and memorize and understand truth about God. In in an age where um, not as many people could read um, and write, there's this ability to come together in song, and there's, there's something about in our brains the way we can memorize songs, and songs get stuck in our heads. I don't know if you guys have had that happen. Uh, I seem to have it happen. I, I past couple weeks, I've been, I just random tunes will come in my head at, at work, and I will start like humming them out loud, and my coworkers are like, stop it, stop it. Because um, these songs, they get, they, you know, uh, melodies get stuck in your heads, and um, there's a part of our, the way we're wired that, that that's, that's, happens, but it's important to recognize that truth 
um, right words about God are important. And that's why, you know, it's important as we sing songs and as we sing songs as a church that we are singing good songs, songs that actually resonate true things about God. Um, but it's not just truth. Secondly, beauty. Um, music, by the way, that God designed it, um, it engages our emotions and our heart, not just our minds. Um, it's important um, to understand that, you know, truth isn't the only thing that's important about music in our, in our gathering, but God wants us to be moved by who he is and what he's done. It's not just, okay, I understood what God did. It's, it's you know, understanding it on this mental level, but it's actually God wants us to be moved in our heart and our soul and, and to a deeper level. And so as we sing songs in the church, um, part of the goal is not just to have this transactional relationship with God where we understand bits of facts about him, but we actually respond emotionally with our soul, that we're actually moved by beauty. And this is why I believe God, in, you know, um, God in all of his wisdom created the world with beauty. I mean, he could have made it ugly. He could have made people ugly, but he made humanity beautiful. He made um, art. I, th- I believe that he, even um, if you look at in the designs for the, the uh, temples, these artistic workers did works of art, that the temple is beautiful. I mean, it wasn't just uh, a very, you know, uh, practical design. He actually had these workers do artistic work. And you look through the ancient songbook of Israel, the, the uh, Psalms, David played instruments, stringed instruments. They played all kinds of instruments. It was beautiful, it was rich, it was unique. And so, um, again, not just truth about God, but but beauty that should move us, that would connect us on a deeper level. And God wants that response to be there. And again, this is, as we frame this whole concept of singing, the, the new covenant is, is what really should anchor and frame this, this idea for us. Because when we start thinking and understanding what God has really done, and then we respond in a way that's, that's not just acknowledging truth, but a way that's actually responding with, with all of our soul, there's something really beautiful there. And there's something there that's deeper that, that God wants to move us into. Um, and I will take a, a, a moment to pause here because music can be, um, in churches, historically can be a very divisive thing. Um, it's something that we would, um, you know, and typically those can fall along generational lines. You have the, some, typically some of the older, um, the older folks that are like, man, I grew up in a church and we had, we had a, uh, the organ and hymns, and if if a church is not doing the organ and hymns, it's uh, it's you know it's not not right. Um, and then you have the the younger people that are like, no, nah, it's all about the this more emotional songs that don't oftentimes get as deep as some of the some of the hymns do. And I think what's important to realize is that the form or the method is not something that the scriptures are ever specific about. Um, God the God's people throughout the ages have found different ways, different methods, different forms of playing music that are all beautiful, that are all connecting new generations to God, but that are also still connecting to that, that truth about God. And so as long as we're holding both of those things, I think there's freedom for us to have some of the old hymns, to modernize some of them, to, um, to bring some of them into our practice and continue those rich traditions. And also it's okay to have new songs, new songs that like, like the one Peter sang today that was really... It's beautiful, and I was expressing truth about the uh, Trinity, and I found myself just like caught up. Like this is so cool. Um, there's such beauty here, and so again, um, as we talk about singing, um, it's really important to understand that that the form and the method is not not 
as important as it is connecting with God. And God has put all these these songs, and and the purpose of why we sing is to connect with God. And that's the really important thing. And so, um, and also, uh, what can happen, and, and I found this to happen over time. I don't know if you've found it happen, but um, you know, when 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 you discover a new album that's like your your favorite album, your favorite artist, and you just like, I don't know about you guys, but I just play it on repeat. Like I'm just like, you know, and um, I'll find after like a couple of weeks, all of a sudden I'll just be totally burned out on it. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to listen to this again, and I won't listen to it again for like a year or something. Um, what can happen is that familiarity over time can breed uh, content because as we get familiar with something, we just we can almost be on autopilot, and so it's something we have to guard against as we come. Um, to church, there's a lot of these songs that we, we probably have memorized. You probably just, you've heard so many times or we see the words and it, it, we can almost come in to the gathering every time on, on autopilot. And I really encourage you, as you come into the church, God really cares about um, our hearts and wants us to be engaged in this act of singing in a fresh way. And so I encourage you, as you come in to, to the congregation I know it's hard. I know when you have kids and you're checking them into class and then you get down, you get in your seat, you get your coffee and everything is, you're just kind of like, whew. You know, sometimes getting into church and just sitting down is a feat in, in and of itself. Um, but I just encourage you to, to allow that space to just start fresh. And even if you've heard this song a thousand times, think about the words, think about what they mean and um, come to it with new, new meaning. Okay, the third thing up here, singing reflects unity. And I think this is a, a really, really important thing. And as I was thinking through this, um, yesterday I, was, I went for a long walk and I was just pondering what it is about music that's so powerful. These last two are kind of tied together, unity and microcosm. So um, I'll talk first about unity, which is that singing is one of the only times that God's people are all on the same page. Like we are singing the same thing at the same time with the same cadence, one voice. And if you look throughout the, the uh, New Testament, Paul's letters especially, all over the place, he's like one another. He's like, um, he talks about unity. He talks about being of one accord, of one mind. I mean, you, you could probably, I mean, there's so many verses in, in the New Testament that are ex- telling the church that God wants us to be of one mind, of one accord. The problem is we are diverse people. We have diverse interests. We have diverse musical tastes. We have diverse styles. We have diverse everything. And especially in the American church, um, in, in the American culture, you know, individualism and individual expression is oftentimes put above the good of the whole. And so I was just realizing something that's so cool about music is when everyone's singing the same thing at the same time, our differences are not it might as well be non-existent at that point, right? I mean, we may have, we we may be fighting with each other. We may be fighting with our spouse on the way in, way into church. We may be in tension with um, maybe the leadership of church, or maybe we're in tension with our kids, or maybe we have such wildly different um, different viewpoints that we come out with, or we, there's non non-essential issues that we would fight over or divide over, but. Something that's so beautiful is that when we come in, we're singing the same thing at the same time. There's such unity there in that moment that I don't, I've, I don't often think about that. And I think God looks at that in our corporate gathering as one of the most important things. Um, it's not about the uh, teaching. I think we tend to make church about you know the uh, Bible teaching and then coming away and feeling fed. But honestly, I think God looks out and he goes, 
all of my people right now are singing the same thing. They're resonating with the same truth about God. Their hearts are united. They're on the same page. And that's one of the only times in God's gathering, in God's church, that that, that happens. That's an amazing thing. And that, as it transitions to the last point, the microcosm, as I started to realize yesterday, I was like, wow, like, singing is actually a picture, a microcosm of what the entire Christian life, the entire church life should be like. I believe that God doesn't want our singing to be unified that way, just our singing. He wants to be the mission that we're on. He wants the way that we, uh, the way we connect in community, the way we do life together, the way we pray, the way we love each other, the way we we um, resolve conflicts together to be in that same way that singing is. So that unity that is expressed in singing, I believe is a microcosm that God wants. I mean, if you follow that thread through, uh, through scripture, God doesn't want that unity just to be in singing, but it's a reflection. It's a picture that's painted that I think if we, we start looking at that picture, we will realize like, wow, God wants all of our interactions as, as a church t- uh, to be this way. And again, it's messy, you know, when, when various viewpoints come together, there's going to be conflict and tension. And that's okay. That's part of being human. But we need to get to that place of unity, and we need to move and work as a church into that place of unity. And so I really think, like, this is, if I had to hone in on what the most important thing about singing, I would say unity. And because that's a picture, a microcosm of what the entire Christian life should be like. We should be able to come together and go, yeah, we have different opinions, we have different ideas, but we're all here for the same purpose, to love God, to love each other. And we can put aside some of those differences in the mission of moving God's mission forward and actually engaging with the life that God's called us into. And so really, um, this this idea of unity is powerful. And I really, um, as I was, I was reflecting on it, it was really powerful to me to just realize this is this is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and I take it for granted almost every Sunday. I don't think about it. Um, you know, uh, I you know if you look in the Old Testament, that story of Babel um, and how everyone was um, of the same accord building this thing, um, not with God. They were basically trying to build their own way up, stairway up to heaven, kind of <laughs> kind of idea. They were they were trying to ascend. They were trying to like find their own way. And God came down and confused their, their, their languages. I love that on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and Peter gave a sermon and everyone heard in their own language. It was like this undoing of, of Babel. And as a church, I mean, we, you know, we're all singing and in, in largely in English here. Um, I think exclusively in, in, in English. Um, uh, but there's something that's, that's really powerful about that. We're singing the same thing at the same time. And in some ways, we're, it's the reversal of the curse that had happened in this idea of languages being confused, and now we're coming back together singing the same thing at the same time. One voice, one God, one people. And that's exactly what Jesus prayed for. If you follow John's gospel in John 17, um, he prayed for unity, prayed for his people to be one as he is one. So anyway, I could go on and on about this, but I, I don't have time. But I just encourage you to, to reflect on this, especially as we sing and respond later. Okay, let's go next to prayer. Um, so as the story continues in Matthew, we're going to see this, this difficult struggle that starts to happen and then a transition to focus on prayer. prayer. And I want to just say first, um, before we go into the, the scripture, prayer is often done in religious, pharisaical ways, or maybe we view it as a private affair. I know that um, 
you know, again, like my parents' generation, sometimes I've noticed um, f- folks uh, their age or just, and again, it's not, this is not, I don't want to um, cast stereotypes um, because those are often shattered. But I think there can be this viewpoint that the American church has had for a while that prayer is a private thing. Like, hey, I can pray to God, but I'm not really comfortable praying in groups. And I understand that. I think um, it it takes getting comfortable praying in front of a group of people. But I'm hoping to kind of shatter some of that today. I'm hoping that, that we can start to see the way Jesus approaches prayer with his disciples. And my goal is and hope that we, we stop viewing we do need to have private prayer. I mean, Jesus does talk about that. He says, go into your closet privately. Don't let anyone know what you're doing and ask God. And the goal there is not doing it to be seen, but doing it for the, for your father. But I also, prayer is a public thing, a thing that's communal and shared. And uh, we can talk about that. Also, we often simplify prayer into the acronym. I don't know. Have you, anyone ever heard of the acronym ACTS uh, for, 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 for the four types of prayer? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I'm hoping to shatter some of that too, because sometimes we have these neat constructions of prayer and these formulaic ways of looking at prayer. And those things are great. I mean, there's those types of prayer in scripture, but I think there's other types of prayer that are not accounted for as part of those. And I think Jesus exhibits some of that. And so my hope is to break some of those stereotypes or the ways we look at prayer to see that it's, again, um, it's an experience that's not always clean. It's kind of messy. And it should be messy, and it should be a communal thing. So let's dive into the story. So Matthew 26, verse 36. This time I got the, um, I didn't didn't put Colossians there, so. (laughs) Um, Then Jesus, in verse 36, went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So notice first, he invited Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, his three closest friends. So all of his disciples went with him to Gethsemane. And he said, hey, sit over there while I go and pray. And then he took his three closest friends on earth that he was closest to in the, out of those disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. This is an understatement. We'll see from the, from the next verse. And verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I mean, Jesus is basically saying, I'm so overwhelmed that I, with sorrow that I'm going to die. I feel like I'm going to die. And he says, watch with me, be with me. He wanted his disciples there with him. And so we're going to see, you know, that's, this invitation is not just to be with him. He actually invites them throughout this dialogue into, act, into prayer. He says, watch and pray. Um, but I just want to see here that in Jesus' darkest, deepest moment, I mean, this moment... And other gospels accounts give us that he's sweating drops of blood in the Garden of, of, of Gethsemane. He's so troubled with sorrow that he feels like he's about to die. He may even be near death um, because of that sweating drops of blood. There's, you know, doctors that have pointed out this is a medical condition or whatever. But regardless, the important thing to understand is he's overwhelmed. And for anyone in this room that has ever felt overwhelmed, like you just feel like maybe, maybe you struggle with uh, depression or maybe you struggle with just something tragic has happened in your life, or you're just, you don't even know why, but you just feel overwhelmed. Um, I think that's common with, <laughs> for you moms in the room, um, feeling overwhelmed. That can be a daily thing sometimes, just like, what am I doing? What, what are these kids doing? Um, but to understand, even for me, I'm in mean, my wrestle with uh, depression over the years, to realize, like, when I, I keyed on this verse, 
Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This was intense. This was deep. But he invited his friends in, into it. Um, and this is the first part of prayer that I want to, as we start um, unfolding and talking about prayer, this is not something that was just a private experience for, for Jesus. It was personal. He did go away from those three and had a, a private moment with, with God, which I think is, which is a part of prayer. So I don't want to dismiss the private, personal aspect of prayer, because that is important. But he's inviting his friends in. He's inviting them into this experience that he's having. Let's, let's move to the next slide. We'll, we'll kind of pick up, continue the story. So going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here he's going, he, he really wants, as you see in verse 39, he wants this, this cup of suffering to be taken away from him. He doesn't want to go through it. I mean, he's going, he's basically saying, Jesus, he's saying, Father, this is too much. I don't want to take this cup. But, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he found his disciples sleeping and he's going, hey, guys, could you, couldn't you watch for one hour? And he goes, watch and pray. So he's encouraging them. He's inviting them in here to pray. He, he needs prayer. He's asking, I, I believe part of this is asking for them to pray for their own temptation, but also he's, he, he's asking for support from his disciples. He's inviting them in again into this experience that he's having and saying, hey, well, watch and pray with me. Um, and again, this, is, this points out to us the, the shared experience of prayer. So then continuing on, um, he went, in verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. The construction there of that, that prayer is a little bit different. He's not saying, hey, I don't want this thing anymore. He's kind of he's kind of seen the, the writing on the wall, and he's going, okay, if it's not possible, may your will be done. He's just kind of wrestling with this idea, and then he's he's submitting to the reality of what God is asking them to do, which is basically to go onto the cross, to become sin, to have the full wrath of the Father and the Holy Spirit poured out on Jesus. Essentially, the, the Trinity in that, in that moment would be broken apart um, by Jesus becoming sin, and Jesus is, is terrified of that, that break of communion with God. But he's saying, if it's not possible for this to be taken away, may your will be done, which echoes and, and reflects the Lord's Prayer, you know, the desire for um, may your will be done, may your, you know, um, God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, um, asking God's will to be done. Verse 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more. I think it's funny this time because he's like, he sees them sleeping and he just goes, uh, I don't even know if he, if he sighed. He just, he's kind of like, well, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the same, the, the third prayed the third time saying the same thing. But I think he, maybe even I started to wonder, maybe he just understands, oh, these guys are really tired. They're, they're, they're human. Um, they're sleeping. Um, and then, um, then finally we'll close out this, this passage. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? <laughs> um, he's just kind of, are you guys still sleeping? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my uh, betrayer. And um, that kind of closes out this passage, and then the story moves on. And again, as we start to approach Easter as a church, the, I, the way this passage is framed before the, 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 the death and resurrection of Jesus, I think it's important to pause here and, and, and look at prayer and its role 
um, in Jesus's life and its role in our life. So we're going to look at um, this next slide has kind of four things again, and then we'll kind of close out. So we're, we're, we're honing in on the end here. So honesty, reality, community, and wrestling. Prayer exhibits these four things. We'll talk about each of them. So first of all, honesty. I think we see from Jesus that prayer is an honest moment with God. He is, comes to God. He doesn't come with uh, flowery language. Actually, his language is very earthy, very just, hey, I don't want this cup. I mean, for Jesus, who is perfect, who is God, to say, hey, let this cup pass from me. I mean, he's basically saying there, don't, I don't want this cup. I mean, he's expressing his honest feelings at that moment to God. But he ends it and closes it with, nevertheless, your will be done. And um, I think we need to be honest with, with ourselves, with God, and with each other about what is really going on in our lives. And I think that's why prayer is a beautiful communal thing. Jesus here is inviting his friends into this moment. He's telling them, hey, I'm, I'm, he even tells them, I'm sorrowful to the point of death. He's not, he's not saying that to them to get a sympathy card. He's saying that to them to be real and to say, hey, guys, this, this is honestly what I'm struggling with, what I'm feeling inside, what I'm, what I'm wrestling with. And he's inviting them into it. And I believe that for us, prayer should look a lot more like Jesus' prayer sometimes and just be messy. Um, I thought of my own version of uh, Acts, which would be prayer that exhibits anger, cussing, threats, and sadness. Um, and again, I kind of say that tongue-in-cheek, but I, I, I think sometimes our prayer should look a little bit more fiery. And if you look throughout the, throughout, throughout the scriptures, there's examples of people throughout the Old Testament um, even like Moses, you know, God's saying, hey, uh, Moses, step out of the way. I'm going to destroy Israel, and I'm going to make a new nation out of you. And Moses goes, no, God, you started this work. You, you have to finish it. And he gets up in God's face, and he goes, no, God, you, your, your name is on the line here. If you don't do this, your name is going to be tarnished. People are going to see that you didn't fall through with, with your covenant promise. And he basically just steps in to the middle of God getting ready to destroy Israel and says, no. I'm not going to stand for this. And we see that throughout the Old Testament um, times when God's people are bold. Um, these Psalms, which are the songbook of Israel, express emotions to God, basically sometimes calling God out or saying, hey, God, you said you were going to be here and you're not. Show up. <laughs> and I think it's okay to be honest with God about, what, about where we're feeling. He knows what we're feeling anyway, so we shouldn't pretend like he doesn't know. And so honestly, sometimes our prayer should be a little bit more honest. And our prayer with each other should be a little bit more honest. Just about being real. Again, the language that we use, the phrasing that we use when we actually pray out loud, it doesn't need to be flower. It doesn't need to be nice. God knows what's inside anyway. Let's just be real. And let's invite each other into it. Because when we do that, it actually shows everyone else in the congregation. Every time that I've been really honest about what I'm going through, and leading a small group, leading a community group, or just with friends, it makes everyone else all of a sudden feel safe to go, oh, wow. He's struggling with that, and he's talking about it in public? Oh, wow. Okay, I can share this too. I'm struggling with this. It creates this culture, this atmosphere of, you know what? We don't have it all together. We need each other. Even Jesus needed his disciples, which is amazing to me. He was God. I always think of him, oh, he's perfect. He's God. But he was also fully human, and he, in his humanity, expressed his emotion to God, expressed his deepest emotion to his disciples, and he invited them in. So reality Again, um, being real, it's not a place, I already kind of covered this, but it's not a place for posturing or to you know, sound great, but it's a place to be ourselves, to talk to God in a real way. I encourage you guys sometimes just talk to God the way 
you would your spouse or your best friend. Um, again, not to be flippant or um, not reverent. I'm not arguing for that at all, but I'm just saying talk to him in a real way. You know, um, I know it's everyone has, I don't know if you've been around church long enough, you, you know, like certain people have, I think we all have it, like a, a prayer voice. Like when you person prays, they sound different than they would if you're just, just chatting with them. And that's, you know, part of that's just because we get, we get awkward and you're doing it in public and whatever. But I just encourage you, talk to God in a real way. Um, let him into your struggle and pain and, and um, let him into the good times that you're having. Just, you know, thanking God for the beautiful day. Yesterday was such a beautiful day. I was outside with my kids. Today is supposed to be sunny. Tomorrow I heard it's going to be 71. I'm like, man, this is, all, this is awesome. It doesn't have to be just the bad times, um, but we should talk to God all the time. And I love that song that Peter sang today, which is, come. I forget how it went, but talking about in prayer in uh, everything, in every part of life, that our lives would actually be a life of prayer. So lastly, community, uh, or sorry, third, community. We are to participate and invite each other to prayer publicly and in community. And, you know, if you're not comfortable praying in public, I understand. It was awkward the first time I did it. I didn't want to do it. But you just get over it, you know. Just realize... <laughs> just realize nobody cares about how you sound. Everyone else is thinking the, the same thing, which is like, oh, this is awkward and weird. But everyone else feels that awkwardness too if they are going to pray. And it doesn't get over. Sometimes you just, just try not to think about it. And if if you're invited to pray publicly, I encourage you guys, even as sometimes Peter invites us to say out words of thanksgiving, those are words of prayer or a praise, just belt it out, you know, like be real. Um, I love hearing people that are maybe almost crying or, or just pouring out this beautiful truth about God that they realize in the midst of their life. Just be real um, and do it in community. And also, um, I think there's a, a space for this, um, for both singing and prayer, which is the, the seek night that, that, that we've been talking about um, starting up. And those times of more intimate settings, I think are really good times to just come, be real, be authentic, connect with God in singing, respond in prayer, um, and practice some of these things because it doesn't it 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 is awkward at first, but it's okay. Lastly, wrestling. Jesus shows us the prayer prayer that looks more like a WWF match than a kumbaya campfire. And I, I was actually thinking of the WWF thing because it's a ridiculous example. But you know, in WWF, there's all these wrestlers on stage. It's just chaos or whatever. I, don't, I haven't even really watched a full match, but I've just seen it. You know. Um, but submission hold is a part of wrestling, right? You, you want to submit your opponent. And it's interesting to me that Jesus exhibits wrestling. So it's, he's wrestling with what God's asking him to do, and he doesn't want to do it in, his, in a human sense because he knows what it's going to cost, but he submits. And I think prayer um, is a wrestling with God. Jacob wrestled with God. Um, God's people throughout history have wrestled with what God's asking them to do, but then they submitted. And I think both of those are important. We need to wrestle with what God's asking us to do, with who he is. Sometimes it, it involves uncomfortableness. Sometimes it involves denying ourselves. Sometimes it involves pain, um, just being honest. But, uh, but submission is ultimately what God desires. He desires us to be in submission um, because he knows what's best for us. So lastly, in response, um, you know, I mentioned already the, the, the seek night, but I, I, I just want to remind us that these experiences that God's invited us into are not optional. Um, they're not 
things that are nice things that, oh, we can sing and we can pray, they're vital to the life of the church. And God's inviting us into those. And again, um, you don't always have to pray out loud or make a big scene to, to practice these things. But I just encourage you in your community groups, this is a great place to pray for one another, to be real, to share what's going on, and to start to cultivate these things in our lives. And singing, like the Sikh night or at church, I hope that these practices, as we, as we start um, engaging more in what Jesus is inviting us into, that we start really coming with an expectation of God being in this place, that the, that the goal of Sunday is not to just hear a nice, inspiring teaching so that we can go out to the week charged up. The goal is to actually come and meet with God. And the way that we do that is singing, prayer, reading God's word and hearing his word and, and, and um, responding to that. But, but part of the involvement is Jesus is inviting us into these things. And it's, I, th- I think it's healthy, too, to cultivate these things privately, individually. I, I love putting on worship sometimes in my car on, on, my, on my ride to work and just getting lost in the moment, getting lost in who God is and praying. Um, certainly those are things privately we're to encourage, but I also just, I, you know, we don't often think of those as communal things, but they are. And so God is inviting us into those things. So as um, Peter's going to come up, he's going to lead us in those things. And as we take communion today, I encourage us to, to kind of, as we're continuing this thread of the, of the new covenant, where we started our teaching really is where we come back to, which is the, the, the body of, of Jesus, which is represented in, in the bread and the cracker that we have. Um, it's really a picture of Jesus's, of bread as provision, it's life that God is giving to us. The blood, which was poured out for our sins, in Exodus and, and Leviticus, as God told Israel um, to do these, these ritual sacrifices, the blood was the life of the animal, and that belonged to the Lord. And um, God wants us to, to, to come to him and drink of life. Because of his life that was poured out, we can have life. And that new life, that new covenant that we're invited into can begin today. And if you've never never stepped into that, maybe you've never asked Jesus in your heart, you've never responded to, to who God is, and um, I encourage you today to, to pray. Ask God to make you new. Um, come to some of us leaders and if you need prayer for something and ask for prayer. And if you, if you do love Jesus and, um, and you want to respond to him, this is a time to do that now. So um, Peter's going to lead us again in song and I'll, I'll close us in prayer and, um, and we'll thank him for who he is. God, we thank you so much that you are here, that you're present, that you're real, um, that you haven't abandoned us, that even in our darkest hour, like Jesus' darkest hour, you were there with them. Um, and we thank you that because of what Jesus did in becoming sin and enduring that pain that we can't even imagine, not just physically, but uh, but spiritually and emotionally, that Jesus experienced that separation so that we could be made whole, that we could come and have new life. And I pray that you would uh, breathe new life into our church, God, every day, every week, as we come and gather, as we gather in community, as we support one another and love one another, I pray, God, that we would step into these things. I pray that we would, there'd be more and more groups of men and women becoming friends, praying for each other, having prayer groups, having meetings, singing. God, responding with all of our hearts, all of our minds. We need you, Jesus, and we ask that you be here. In Jesus' name, amen.